inspiration, success stories, expert advice, strategies, new ideas, and amazing conversations. Everything you need to become a great speaker. This is Oscar Santolaya, and welcome to Time to Shine. Hello, thank you for joining a new episode of Time to Shine. I'm here with a new guest that I met just a few weeks ago, fascinated about how it, he talked about music and especially about songwriting. So let me introduce you, Tracy Lip. Tracy is originally from Los Angeles, California. Tracy grew up around the entertainment industry and made a living playing guitar. He met a Finnish girl in 1999 which caused a pivot in his professional career. He moved to Helsinki, Finland, and got a publishing deal with Universal Music Publishing. He has multiple gold and platinum records as a songwriter and a Finnish Grammy for Song of the Year. Hello, Tracy. Hello. Very welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me here. It's yeah. exciting. It's very nice. It's the first time I'm going to talk with a songwriter. Even though, uh, in my life, I have to tell you, I talk with many musicians playing several instruments, but very rarely uh, a songwriter, especially at the level you are. So it's um, I'm really excited to, to hear what you are going to tell us. Okay. So about songwriter, I, I would like to ask you first, um, what is the, the job of a songwriter? Because... Sometimes you, you listen to a pop song, it's catchy. Some people say, ah, oh, everybody can can create a song, a song like this. It so, sounds so simple, but I know it's not true. Um, so how how you create a, a great song? What is the process? My process, uh, it took a long time to, to create the process, actually. Uh, I use a process that was sort of mastered in New York in the Tin Pan Alley district of Manhattan uh, back in the days when professional songwriters had what they called house deals, which mm -hmm. meant that you get a salary and the publisher pays you this weekly salary and uh, they keep almost all of the money from the songs but in, mm -hmm. but you and you have to turn in a song basically every day Whoa. and it has to be a hit otherwise you lose your job <laughs> <laughs> so typically what they would do is take a songwriter two two people a piano player that does melodies and a lyricist and put them in a room and there'd be like a building full of this and uh, if you're going to work like that you better come up with something every day Mm -hmm. Then you have to do it quite quickly. So guys developed a method. Mm -hmm. And the method is using a lot of visualization, thinking of the song like a small movie. And so you have scenes. You set your scenes. Mm -hmm. you, you describe where things are, who's there, what's happening. And then when the, and that would be like the first verse. And when the pre-chorus, If you have a pre-chorus hits, then we're taking a movement into the chorus. So you would you would take some sort of statement saying, and then this is what happens, mm -hmm. and then the chorus will hit. When the chorus hits, the idea is that you're going to sort of sum up the first verse, and you have to have a hook line. Mm -hmm. and the hook line has to be something very simple and easy to remember, and usually it should be kind of conversational, although not always. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for example, 
um, Bon Jovi wrote Living on a Prayer. <laughs> and that language is on purpose. He didn't say living on a prayer. He said living on a prayer. And that sort of sums up everything that's happening in that first verse of the song. If we were going to go through that story, you know, uh, Tommy used to work on the docks. You know, Union's been on strike. He's down on his luck. Oh, yeah. And it tells the story. And Gina worked the diner all day. Now we know exactly who's involved. Mm -hmm. We know what the situation is. You know, he's out of work. She's supporting him. Uh, oh, yeah, we got to hold on to what we got. Uh, you know, so now we're moving into the chorus. Uh, oh, we're halfway there. Uh, we're living on a prayer. This, this kind of thing. So... That first verse, pre-chorus and, and chorus, are perfectly crafted. Then the second verse happens, and it should move the story forward. Mm -hmm. And this is where a lot of people make a mistake as songwriters, because usually amateur writers will rewrite the first verse. And you'll see that quite often in songs that do not get cut. <laughs> that, but if it's done correctly, now we introduce... A new scene, possibly new new characters, maybe not, mm -hmm. but the story continues forward. And then the pre-chorus hits. Usually it's the same lyrics. Sometimes it's not. But then when the chorus comes, if you've crafted your song well, then what ends up happening is it's the same words, but it is a new twist because our story has changed in the second verse. So the same words, and you go, wow. The place that they're really good at that is, is Nashville, Tennessee, with all of these American country songs. They're fabulous at this kind of thing. And that's that's sort of like, you know, part of being a great songwriter is understanding that twist. Then if you have a bridge, if you've decided that you're going to do that, it, they go in and out of fashion. Currently, they're a little bit out of fashion. But the idea with the bridge is like if you've, for example, written a very negative song, mm -hmm. you would take that bridge to say, but wait, there is hope. Uh -huh. And we sort of call that section like getting Billy off the bridge because it's like, oh, my life is so terrible. I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump off the bridge here. But wait a second. Maybe she'll have me back. <laughs> then if the song is crafted properly, after that bridge statement the chorus comes and it's taken another twist and you don't change those words again so if you follow this method and practice writing using this method you can get to where you can write a lyric very very quickly so the fastest i've written a song is somewhere around a lyric is somewhere around 40 minutes and uh it was done using this method and using uh, what I call being in the zone, but a lot of people call flow. Mm, yes. yeah. Flow is really popular to talk about right now. There was a TED talk about it not too long ago. But uh, I got in, in this flow state uh, within a couple of minutes and started furiously writing about this subject matter. And <clears throat> the reason I was in such a hurry was because we had this super excellent top Swedish demo singer in the studio and she had an airplane to catch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote, I wrote the first chorus and that took about 10 minutes and gave her the lyric and she started singing. And then I was writing the verses and, you know, and she's really fast and really good at her job. So what ended up happening is I would literally write a couple of lines and hand 
the lyric sheet to her and she would sing a couple of lines and it was like boom 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 like that <clears throat> on the fly yeah it went like that and honestly if i could have had another 10 minutes i would have changed two words <laughs> <laughs> so it was ready it was ready but well those two words might make a big difference oh, okay uh the song was called don't turn back and uh i would probably change the word turn to come don't come back but mm. it would have made it would have made the hook stronger because don't turn back is the hook and but i mean the song was a success it was by a finnish band called tick and tack it was a radio hit all over europe and it was played on uh radio disney quite a lot in probably 2000 2001ish they released a single and were on nickelodeon so <laughs> this is an example of what you can do when you understand the process mm -hmm. and you know how to get into flow Wow, a worldwide uh, successful song in 40 minutes. So you really master uh, your process there that you learn. And what if the process of flow that you, you said? Could you briefly say how you use flow in your, in your work? Sure. Uh, I started using flow as an athlete. Mm. Um, we called it being in the zone. And mm -hmm. I learned it in the early 80s as a runner. And I was a competitive long-distance runner in high school. Uh, I went to the Nationals in cross-country for 5K, came in 48th in America. Uh, I guess it was 1982, I want to say, for my age group, 16 to 18-year-olds. I ran like 16 minutes and 8 seconds or something like that. Uh, so, And that was on like a muddy golf course. It had been raining for a week, and the thing was like up and down. It was... <laughs> It was crazy. It was seriously, you know, but if you're, and I also ran the mile and uh, ran a 448 mile. So a lot of people understand that's four times around the track. So four minutes, 48 seconds came in second to last in that race. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but in order to run that fast, you have to be able to be like in the zone uh, or in flow. And The more you learn about that state of mind, the more you understand that most of the training that these athletes do is designed to teach the brain how to do that. Mm -hmm. And specifically with running, if you're at that le elite level, the exercises that you're doing, the, the, they're designed to teach you how to stay in that state, even though physically you're dying, almost literally sometimes. You know, I can remember doing workouts where I had like uh, tunnel vision. I was almost going to pass out. And I just would run right at that state. And it was about being able to stay running at that. At that. Then later as a guitar player, um, I was quite good. You know, I worked in Los Angeles and I played with some of the best players in the world. But I wasn't always the best player. Mm. Uh, usually I was, um, you never knew who you were getting from day to day. It was more like some days I belonged on the stage with those guys. And then the next day, it's like, who the hell is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> who brought him? <laughs> yeah, this guy doesn't, he's making mistakes, everything, you know, it's like. Okay. And so it was, it was simply because I wasn't in, I wasn't in flow. I wasn't in the zone. I didn't concentrate. So I ran into a situation where I was on a tour mm -hmm. and it was a really good pain tour and the band was really excellent. Nobody was making any mistakes except me. I would make two or three mistakes in a show. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're at the elite level, again, 
it's not okay. You know, mistakes can happen, but they shouldn't really happen. If you really know your, what you're doing, the, the music is rehearsed, there isn't really any reason for it unless some technical thing happens to like a guitar string breaks. Sure. Okay, what are you going to do? Yeah. So uh, the artist came up to me and said, if you don't get your shit together, <laughs> I'm putting you on an airplane. I don't care how much it costs. You're going home. you got a week. And I'm like, uh. And the other guitar player was 10 years older than me, a lot more experienced because I was like 23 when this happened. And he's like, man, you're a good guitar player. You're just not concentrating. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, man, you're right. And then I went running to try and clear my head because I was running every day on this tour. And I decided to do a really hard workout like back in the old days to get my head really clear. And, you know, just and I started thinking about how to do that fast running. And instantly I went, oh, my God, this is the same. So the next show uh, that was actually one of the few times I ever had stage fright because, you know, normally it doesn't happen to me at all. Like, it doesn't matter. But this show, I was really terrified. And I'm like, uh, what am I going to do? I can't make any mistakes. I'll get fired. And I realized I just have to use that same technique that I'm using when I'm running and be very in the moment, thinking about what I'm doing now, what's the next thing. Because as a runner, that's what that's what you do. I'm right here. I need to go to there. I only have to run really hard for 20 seconds, for example. And you can run really hard for 20 seconds. And then you break 10 kilometers down into a bunch of 20 mm -hmm. seconds. So I broke the songs that I knew really well. I mean, I was, and I was a really good guitar player, broke them all down into little, what am I doing right now? What's the next thing I'm playing? I looked down at the guitar, started the show, and I looked up again and the show was done and I had done it perfect. Well. <laughs> And the, you know, the flow thing was so intense that it was like euphoria. I was like, wow, that was so amazing. So it was, that was how I realized how to do it as a musician. Then as a songwriter, I just realized it was the same thing. It's like, what am I doing right now? I'm thinking about this thing, you know, and I'm in this moment and I put myself in that moment and it feels the same in my, in my brain. Like I have a, a feeling of what it feels like. And I think this is the same idea. And I don't know this as a fact. Um, so I'm guessing right now as when people are learning how to um, control the brain waves they're using uh, to get the different types of brain wave so that they can like play a game or something. And the game is designed so that certain, I don't, I don't know the brain waves that they're talking about, but a certain way of thinking will cause you to be able to move something in a, in a computer while the brain is being monitored. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, they have stuff like that on 60 minutes. Uh, you know, they'll have like a thing you'd, like a, I don't know if they call them beta waves or what they call them, but mm -hmm. you know, it, these scientists will will do studies where if you can um, control how you're thinking, you can change the brainwave state in your brain, and then at that point, um, something will move on a monitor, and you can control how that works. And it's a little bit the same as controlling uh, a fake arm or something by thinking. Mm. So I get this feeling in my head of what it feels like to be in flow, and start working and it, it it goes really fast at that point and i can feel it and i can really feel when things are going really well and 
because you know a lot of things can happen to take you out of flow as a songwriter but i can feel it it's like okay now this is now this is going to start rolling and i know when i get this feeling in my head the lyric is going to come like it just comes Uh, yeah, well, it comes using that process that mm. I told you about. Yeah. I still do the process. Sure. I'm telling the story, but it's, it happens real fast, and it's really easy at that point. So you have the, this perfect concentration that you need to do any, any, any difficult thing. Let, let's say, like you mentioned, like running, then you uh, use this for playing guitar and now you're using now I use it for songwriting for songwriting yeah I guess almost every day as you do and I I use it when I'm when I'm giving talks also mm. you know this is one of the ways that I'm able to <coughs> give a to give a good talk uh, is by getting into this flow state because I don't rehearse very much at all for giving talks I could but <laughs> then I'd have to spend time that I don't necessarily have getting a speech prepared and stuff like mm. that. To me, that would be a little bit like an, like an actor. You know, I see the similarities, you know, giving a good talk, you know, delivering a good soliloquy. I don't see a big difference. And so for me, what I do is I make sure I understand the stuff that I'm going to talk about. Yeah, exactly. Know your topic. Mm -hmm. I know my topic mm -hmm. very well. And then I know basic points that I want to hit mm -hmm. and I try and figure out how long do I have to talk and try and hit those within a certain amount of time based on you know how does it feel and sometimes I'll trash the whole thing once I start talking <laughs> because you know the the situation changes and and my goal is when I'm talk when I'm giving a talk is to be informative and entertaining that's my number one goal and when it when that's working For me, it's, it's quite fun. And that's also my goal. I want to have fun when I'm talking. Yeah, that's what I, um, what I felt when I, I heard your talk like a few weeks ago. It was both informative, very interesting topic. You talk about how to write a winning song. You explain one of your stories, a few of your stories. And it was also entertaining. So the two aspects that you mentioned were successfully done on that time I saw you. And... Yeah, Thank great you. Great that you start talking about how um, your process of speech writing plus your technique of uh, getting into the zone, the flow you are, you are using for uh, speaking in public in, in general. So what else, um, how else the, this technique have <coughs> influence in the way you, um, let's say, present or speak in public? One of the things that I'm doing... <laughs> because I write very internally, like I'm processing all of the um, potential words against the melody in my head, usually before I start doing them out loud. Like, for example, the, the talk that you saw. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a lot of time before I was going to speak. So mm -hmm. I mentally gave the talk, the, in, the introduction a few times. Oh. Uh, just like trying out different things and either saying, yeah, that works, or discarding them. And... Uh, I think that that particular talk would have been a little bit better if I would have had another five minutes because it was a little and and if my um, my props would have worked because like the music was I wasn't able to play the music the way I wanted to uh, come out and and I'd actually tried that before I came and I don't know why it didn't work so then at that point it's like well this isn't working so you better improv oh yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> which doesn't I don't care. It doesn't matter to me if I have to improv. It's like, oh, okay, this isn't as as you noticed, I wasn't I wasn't like nervous because this mm-hmm. isn't playing. I just went, oh, it's not playing. We won't worry about it. Move to the next point. Move or, to the next point. Yeah. yeah. Cause as soon as you make, and this is something that I learned as a musician, mm-hmm. as soon as you make a point out of something that's a mistake or that isn't going right, mm-hmm. then it becomes a thing. If you act like it never happened and just move on. Yes. Of course, people can notice, some but will, yeah. <laughs> some will, but at the same time, they'll just forget about it almost exactly. always. Now, some professionals will go, okay, that wasn't done well. But. The critics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only those guys. Yeah, those guys. Those guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, it's just true. I guess you, with your formation as a musician, also you have these improvisation uh, techniques that you can also use when speaking that uh, helps a lot because most of the people don't have this, don't have trained... You have you have to be trained either improvising in music or in like theater and all these kind of things, and you learn there. Otherwise, it's it's difficult actually to improvise if you don't have some training or or practice the habit of doing that. That's completely true, and completely right on. And it's a thing that you do have to practice. Mm-hmm. So if someone wants to be able to do that, they have to find situations where they can actually practice improving. And mm-hmm. one of those could be taking an acting class where they teach improv. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could also just be randomly getting up and talking uh, in front of people. It could be doing something like Toastmasters mm-hmm. and try. The, the main thing is at the beginning, you're going to make a lot of mistakes and you have to be willing to make mistakes. Sure. And as soon as you accept the fact that at the beginning, it will not be perfect, then it gets easier to make mistakes and you can, learn from watching other people that are good at this kind of stuff on how to deal with mistakes that happen. Yeah, yes, true. It's a lot of practice, as you said. It's for everything, right? For how you learn songwriting, it's doing a lot, lot, lot of times. So. I've written a lot of bad songs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one question I want to ask you, if um, when you, I don't know how often you, let's say, watch tech talks or go in some e- public events when someone is speaking. So how often you do it? But when you do it, I guess you, you do it from time to time. What do you feel in when you listen to, let's say, speeches or talk just uh, this spoken voice, not not singing voice? Uh, you feel music or something? What's your feeling? Uh, music isn't quite the right way to put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more about phrasing. I hear phrasing. Um, and I, uh, when somebody's good at phrasing, then I, en- it's more entertaining for me. Mm-hmm. So phrasing is about when do you pause? How long do you pause? And, and the more you talk in public, the better you get at this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I s- actually kind of had, have had to study that a little bit because I work with a lot of non-native speakers And part of what I'm doing is trying to get them to sound more natural mm. in English. Yes. So the first thing I have, you have to do is figure out what's natural in English. <laughs> Where should we be breaking? Where should we be continuing? These kind of things. And again, actors are really good for this kind of thing. And another place that's really good for this kind of thing is stand-up comedians. Mm-hmm. Um And it's it's not only the good ones. It's also like going and seeing somebody that's not good and figuring out what's wrong. Because you can take a joke and ruin it 
by having bad timing. Yeah, it can be exactly well memorized, well uh, um, spoken, but in the wrong phrasing, as you said, right? Right. And like, for example, the Borat movie is really great for that when he's taking those that class on, on telling jokes. You know, it's, it's a really good example of what's happening with that. His, he's so talented as a comedian that he's able to turn that bad timing around and make it funny again. But this kind of thing with, with speeches is appealing to me. So even somebody that has an odd cadence, cadence is a good word for that also, like Al Gore, you know, he understands where to stop and where to start, but There's other things that are involved in that. Um, saying um is a bad thing, for example. Uh, I think they ding you in Toastmasters if you use those kind of, <laughs> those kind of words, which uh, I've never been a Toastmaster member, but I know a lot of people that have done it. Uh, another thing is reusing the same phrase over and over again. And, Uh, you were asking me about what do I, I listen to Ted talks almost every day oh. uh, for the information. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not necessarily studying the speeches so mm -hmm. much uh, unless it's a really good speech. At that point, I'll be like, wow, why is this so good? And, you know, there's other speeches that annoy me, but the content is so good that mm. I watch it yeah, anyway. True. <laughs> so but like there was, there was one that annoyed me a couple of days ago because the guy kept reusing this first of all first of all <laughs> at the end yeah he used it like and he used it like three times in this in the course of like less than a minute and i was just kind of thinking that's not so good i can't believe that that stayed in his speech actually mm. how come that didn't get it edited out so that's the kind of stuff that i think about sure. Yeah, great. You you already gave some great ideas such as uh, the flow. And but if you can leave some some top ideas that speakers can learn from songwriters, what would be your key ideas? I think it depends on whether or not you're going to prepare your speech. So as a Songwriter, one of the things that I'm always doing is looking for that hook line. And mm -hmm. I think that in a speech, you need a great hook line. Um, I would also say that you need a, a great beginning hook for your, for your talk. It needs to, the beginning needs to grab people. You can't mm -hmm. wait very long before you grab them. So I would craft beginning a lot. And I believe the, co the closer also has to be really well put together. And like the best closes that I've heard listening, for example, to TED Talks don't even sound crafted. But when you listen to them at the end, uh, again, you're like, wow, what a great close. So it, it, it again becomes a thing of breaking your talk down into segments like a song. It's not verse, chorus, verse, chorus, but it's like idea, idea, idea. You know, mm -hmm. idea, transition, idea, transition, because you don't want to just jump, 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 because that'll catch people by surprise and interrupt the listener's flow, because that's also an important thing is getting these people into a uh, flow for listening. 
It's true. Sometimes I feel like that when the when when a talk is so entertaining, so interesting, it goes be- very smooth. You are like a flow. Nothing really distracts you. Right. <laughs> and and a good a good talk is or speech is going to be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, my opinion is that speech writing and talking have gotten a lot better. We don't have the same speeches that we did, for example, when Richard Nixon was president. A talk like that today would would put everyone to sleep. <laughs> uh, it's evolved quite a bit. Mm. So I think, you know, and back in Abraham Lincoln's day, he wrote his own talks, his own speeches. Today we have professionals doing it. And sometimes that's also annoying because you can hear the the political speech writers work. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> But generally I, I think, you know, We've gotten a lot better at, at this whole concept. It's it's that idea of like the great talk that was given in 1983 leads to the one in 1995, which is better than the one in 1993. And we have this evolution going on. That the same thing is going on in acting. Look at the John Wayne movie Stagecoach. I think it's from 1938. There's two good actors in the movie, maybe three. John Wayne, mm-hmm. the the female lead, I think it's might be Maureen O'Hara, I'm not sure. And the guy that's actually the stagecoach driver who had the top billing, I don't remember his name either, but those three were great. And the rest of the people were old style stage actors oh, okay. that were like, Yeah, let's go do it. You know, but <laughs> John Wayne walks on the on the screen and instantly there's this presence. And you could see this kind of evolution through through the years with the acting. And now you watch some like normal little thing on TV and the acting is is a lot better. And then you take something like Breaking Bad where the acting is amazing all the way through the whole thing. And it's like that wouldn't have been possible in 1938 because the acting skills weren't there. Well, everything has evolved in a, in a positive way. So. Yeah, it's a great uh, lots of comment. Lots of people are watching Tony Robbins give these great talks. Mm-hmm. And while her, there isn't very much room for everybody be to, to be Tony Robbins, at the <laughs> same time, you know, it it brings the level of everyone else up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also easier to access to this. Uh, you can find a good uh, role models as a, um, like a speakers, also actors, many, many you can find. A lot nowadays with also the with the internet we can find so many so it's it's much more easy to 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 see what is going on outside and be there. That's exactly right. Mm. You nailed it. <laughs> Tracy, could you now tell us what is your favorite quotation? My favorite quotation was something that a professor of music said to me when I was going to Orange Coast College, and. He said this, he came into a rehearsal room where I was rehearsing with a band and we were going through this song Moon Dance, which is really, really easy to play. And we were just basically doing solos for hours over this. He's like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. And I'm like, what's going on? He's like, what are you doing? You shouldn't be practicing this. This is too easy for you. You should be practicing something that's hard. Mm. And then... You should be you should remember that an amateur practices until they get it right and a professional practices until they cannot get it wrong. <clears throat> and I went, "Huh. 
So that's, I try and do that in everything I do. Until you cannot get it wrong. Wow. <laughs> Practicing hard, as, as we talked earlier, practice is so important in everything that you want to achieve greatness. That's a great quotation. Now, could you pick and recommend us one book that has been particularly inspiring, influential? For me, there's two books, mm -hmm. and I've listened to at least half of the podcasts that, that uh, on your site. Well, thanks and, a lot. Oh, they're great. That's why I'm listening to, you know. I haven't heard anyone say um, Malcolm Gladwell's uh, Outliers yet. Uh, that one, I think, mm -hmm. is important. And then follow that with Daniel Coyle's uh, The Talent Code. The Talent Code. The Talent Code. So the reason Outliers is important is because it really talks a lot about what it is to be different and special. It doesn't necessarily talk about what it is to be amazing because mm -hmm. it's, you know, probably a lot of people have read this book. This is more of a thing for people that haven't read the book. Uh, and to me, everything is great up until like basically the last chapter where he's talking about himself. Mm. And it's not bad, but, and I understand why he's talking about himself there. Uh, cause you could say he's a success story, but it, it doesn't compare to the amazing stuff in the other chapters. Mm. You know, it's, it, it does bring up these things of like, what can we do for ourselves to make ourselves outliers? Where can we find this specialness and build on it? And, The other thing with that is maybe there isn't a thing. And then we have to recognize that we're just going to have to work really hard now because we don't have that outlier moment. The talent code is similar in some ways in that it, it talks about the specialness of certain settings and stuff like that. But it gets more into how to focus and practice and the role that myelin, this white stuff in our brain, plays in becoming amazing at things. And uh, for those that don't know, myelin is sort of a neuroenhancer, I guess you could call it. And what it does is it, it wraps itself, it's an insulator that wraps itself around neurons. And the neurons that are firing when they're heavily myelinated will fire faster and with less resistance. And it aids us in everything that we're doing. So like, for example, Einstein has, you know, they studied his brain and mm -hmm. he had the same number of neurons as everyone else, but he had 50% mm -hmm. more myelin and his brain was myelinated so that he would think my brain is myelinated to play guitar. Mm -hmm. It's, it's that riding a bicycle thing. Oh, it, the same requires practice. Right. And, and this, this, we call it muscle memory and it's not. It's, it's actually, uh, all here in, in the brain mm -hmm. and the path, the neural pathways. And, you know, when I first, because I put that in my first book about singing, uh, it's called The Vocal Athlete. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's an iBook. It's in the iBook store. But, you know, I was looking at, you know, how, how, the learning that we're doing is affected and, and how to enhance it. And that talent code book was great for that. But then I was like, I don't know, this is, how do I know that this guy's right? 
I happen to have a friend that's a bio uh, in biomedicine. You know, he's, he did his PhD thesis on nicotine receptors in the rat brain. So I yeah. figure this guy probably knows something about myelin. So I called okay. him up and, and he's like, why do you want to know about myelin? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, yeah, well, you know, our understanding of myelin is quite new because previously we didn't really know what it did because we couldn't see into the brain. But now with these new imaging technologies mm -hmm. that we have, we can actually see what it's doing and how it's working. And he said, we don't completely understand it as much as we, we will later, but you could sort of think of the bike riding thing sort of like there's like some pipes or tubes in your head. And if you don't use them very much, they get sort of dusty and loose. Mm -hmm. And when you get on the bicycle to ride it, it's sort of like blowing air through that and blowing oh. all the dust out. And then it tightens up. And then, and that's how muscle memory works. And the other thing that's super important in that book is how to sort of like get the brain to be myelinated. So it has to do with the right way to train and the right way to practice. And to me, I think you can do that even with, with giving talks. Again, it, there's a, there's a process you go through. I think it's the same. We've got our pathways in our brain that help us be better speakers. Mm -hmm. And. Well, pretty interesting. Eh? Could you now share with us something practical that you recommend doing a daily or weekly, a routine to shine? I would recommend finding a way to get into flow or the zone daily. I would recommend doing this in short spurts because if you try and do it for a long time, it's difficult. Mm -hmm. So try and get in flow for 20 seconds, 30 seconds, maybe one minute. And it could be anything from uh, yoga breathing to when you're on a workout, focusing just on that one thing or finding another thing that's within your life that you can do where you can be in flow. Like if you're working at McDonald's and you're flipping burgers, be in flow when you're flipping the burgers. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not kidding because you can do that. You know, what are you doing right now? Uh, at, at like find a way to be in flow with that thing. And I think that works. Excellent. I definitely have to to try. I hear about the concept, but I never really tried. So it's it takes a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. It really is really hard, and it it really is a thing where just do it for short little bits, and then they can add up over time. Absolutely, I will try. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Tracy, for this very interesting interview. I like many things that you you. You talk about about your songwriting experience and musician and also about talking and yeah the last part i like a lot also these new interesting books that you mentioned and things very actionable that we can use not only for for speaking but many aspects in life so please finally tell us how we can learn more about you or follow you what are the best ways for that i'm on facebook tracy lip helsinki would be like a great way to search for me because there's no other Tracy Lips in Helsinki. <laughs> I have a website, tracylip.com. Uh, you can email me from that site. Mm -hmm. So both of those things are good. My Twitter handle is difficult. It's LA in Helsinki. And so that's not the best way to reach me. But um, I think the website and Facebook work good. Excellent. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure we'll find you and I'll put all your details on the show notes of the episode. So I can go there. 
So again, thank you very much, Tracy, and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Did you like it? Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or visit us at timetoshinepodcast.com. Until next time...